Well, everybody, grab your Bibles. Let's open up to John chapter 19. While you are moving there, uh, opening your, your uh, Bibles, I just have been thinking about this moment for the past couple of months where we're able to get back together on the Lord's Day on a Sunday, which is which is awesome. I've been thinking about Romans chapter 1, verses 18, 8 through 13, which says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may uh, now at last succeed in coming to you, uh, for I long to see you. Why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul was in a situation where he was socially distanced from people. <laughs> and uh, he was longing to get back together with them. And his, his thinking in Romans was, I want to get back face to face, mask to mask with people, because they're, because I want to impart something to the Lord has given me, and I want to receive from you edification of the church. And I know some of you have been gathering and doing that together. It's awesome. And we're going to continue to do that. But now that things are loosened up, it's good to be face to face. And Paul goes on and says, uh, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far, but thus far have been prevented, um, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well from the rest of the Gentiles. And that's one of the things is that Paul was saying, listen, I know this is a difficult time, but God's using it. And God's using the church in different ways now than he has before, if you let him. There's different people that you're going to be able to reach. There's different ways of communicating. There's different ways that the gospel's going out. And we just want to be open to this and not just, uh, you know, uh, say, okay, I'm in prison. I'm just going to sit in prison. Uh, God's got other people that are chained to you, and there's ministry to happen. And so... May the Lord lead us in that. As we are um, in John chapter eight, uh, 19, basically, as we start this morning, just to bring you up to speed. We finished John 18 last week, uh, virtually, which is basically the betrayal of Judas. Judas betrays Jesus. He's arrested in the garden. And then he's brought before Annas, uh, which is the high priest. And it was before Annas that he was struck in the face and uh, was questioned about everything. And then he was brought before Caiaphas, which is the current high priest. It's kind of like Mr. President. Uh, you're always Mr. President, whether you are a former or a president. So they had Annas, and then it went to Caiaphas. And it's Caiaphas. Basically, they put a sack over his head. They beat him in the face. And so Jesus is starting to experience some persecution. It's at this time that Peter goes ahead and betrays Jesus for, or denies Jesus three times. And then it's at that point that we find that eventually uh, uh, Jesus is brought before a civil trial, which is Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor. We all know this, but he had the power of execution. So the Jews are seeking the Pilate would, would execute Jesus on the cross because the power of execution is being taken away from the Jews. That's what they're after. And so they had all these claims of, of that Jesus is doing insurrection and he's 
telling people that he's that not to pay taxes and all these lies. False witnesses are being brought up. And Pilate sits and, and communicates with Jesus and hears them out. And he says, listen, I find no guilt with Jesus. And he takes him and he sends him over to Herod because in the process he hears he's a Galilean. So like any good politician, he passes the buck, goes to Herod. And what happens with Herod? Herod asks him a bunch of questions. Jesus never asks, answers anything of him. And so Herod's troops then start to mock Jesus. They strip him. They put a, uh, a robe on him. And then they, uh, and they, uh, I believe they started to hit him there. And they sent him back to Pilate. And then Pilate and Herod became friends because they liked each other's style, basically. And so here, Jesus is brought before Herod again. And the problem that we're having in all of this is that Pilate uh, did not find Jesus guilty. And Pilate is having an issue because the crowds are being riled up. And Pilate is a, he does not want to have insurrection. And so he's stuck between Jesus being innocent, totally innocent, and crowds going berserk. And if any of you know of anything that's going on, crowds can be a very powerful thing uh, when they get riled up. And he does not want to have this get out of control. It reflects poorly upon him. And so he says, hey, listen, let's make a deal. At this, at the feast of the Passover every year, we go ahead and we give you the opportunity to get one of your political prisoners back or someone back. How about Barabbas? And so they go ahead and and he says, here's, here's Barabbas. You can have Barabbas, which actually means son of another father, son of a father. And so you have two sons of two fathers, and the choice is for the Jews. And they cry out, give us Barabbas. Away with this man. His, let his blood be upon us and our children. And that's what they said. The Jews collectively rejected their Messiah. And so uh, we pick up in chapter 19 where it says that then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hand. Because uh, Pilate found no guilt with Jesus, Luke tells us in chapter 23, 16, that Pilate was going to punish Jesus and release him. He's trying to find a happy meeting. The punishment was absolutely undeserved. But Pilate is trying to be cruel enough to Jesus to satisfy the, the, the mob's desire. And so Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And how did you see the passion of the Christ? It's something like that. The idea is they took a, 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 a whip of some sort, a short whip, and it had bone and metal implanted in these strands. And you take it and you hit someone's back and it would just rip them apart. And people would die from this. And so they have 39 lashes is what it would be. And, and sometimes that would be the execution sentence because it was so brutal. People would bleed out. And so Jesus was scourged. John doesn't go into much detail about that. He just says he was scourged. And you're going to see that John doesn't put too much detail into the suffering of Jesus because that's not his point. The other Gospels do that, but that's not what he's focusing on. And so Jesus was scourged. The soldiers twisted the crown and put it on his head, mocking him. And they put the robe back on him, most likely the robe that was, was sent with him from Herod. And so you can imagine his back being ripped up. They take the, the, uh, they take the robe and they put it back on him. They push down the crown of thorns. And so Jesus is uh, battered in his face. Um, Isaiah says most likely his beard was pulled out. Um, he's been hit. He's been mocked. He's got his... He's, he's in pretty rough shape. He's suffering. 
And Matthew 27, 28 tells us that they stripped him, they put the scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on his head. And verse 4, back in John says, John 19 says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Pilate thought that his brutality, his cruelty would satisfy the crowd. That's what he's saying. See, uh, uh, he, there's no guilt in him. Look, I've, I've beaten him up. There's nothing wrong. I've, I've tried to do what you want. Here he is. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to him, behold the man. Behold the man. You know, it seems that Pilate's point in all this cruelty and humiliation in just absolutely crushing Jesus was to say, this guy is not a king. He's a man. Look at him. He's bleeding. He's under my control. There's nothing he can do. Here he is. Dressed with a robe and a crown of thorns. Verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Now, I don't understand what Pilate means by this. Take him yourself, because obviously they couldn't do that. So either he's being he's mocking them or he's just tired of them. I don't know what it is, but basically it seems that Pilate's just tired of them. Like, get out of my hair. I am done with this. But Pilate declared Jesus not guilty. We know this. And so the Jews were not finished with Pilate, though. In verse 7, it says, The Jews answered him. He said, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. The Jews, up to that point, what if they've been accusing Jesus of tax issues, they've been choosing of a power grab, but here's their true motive, that he made himself out to be the Son of God. This is why John is pointing this out, because he wrote the gospel that we would know that he is without a doubt the Son of God, all the way through. That's why he's writing this. That's why he's skipping over all these other areas of just narrowing in on the things that focus on him being the Son of God. <clears throat> that was their true motive for crucifying him. Now, Pilate was a Roman, but he seemed to be a superstitious man. Um, he had this fear. I think Pilate's thinking, what, what, what are this, what are the, what's going on here? Is this guy? Is there anything? Is there any truth to this? Who is this man? And what John doesn't mention, but Matthew does, in chapter twenty-seven, nineteen, is that Pilate, while he was on the judgment seat, talking about Barabbas. He got a message from his wife that said, do not do anything with this righteous man, because I had a dream today, and I have suffered much because of it. And so Pilate is, is, is hearing from his wife that he had a dream, do nothing with this woman. And, and then on top of that, now he hears that he's, the son of, that he's claiming to be the son of God. And Pilate is fearful, because he's stuck between an angry crowd that wants to kill this guy, he knows he's innocent, and he's wondering, what am I doing? And he has a choice. Pilate has a choice. We're going to find out here. 
So Pilate knows he's innocent. Verse 9. So he enters his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? <laughs> I figure you want to ask that at the beginning, but he asked now, where are you from? So Pilate's digging. Who are you? But Jesus gave him no answer. And so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Why aren't you talking to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Pilate said, I hold your life in my hand. Speak up to Jesus. And so Jesus now answers him. In verse 11, he says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the far greater sin. You see, the Father had the ultimate authority of what is going on. This is one of the things we need to realize, I think, as, as brothers and sisters. Um, just and unjust government in all these types of things, authority is only granted by God. We, we think that, you know, people grab it and take it and things happen, but it's ultimately God who's allow, who allows it for his purposes. Now, people are culpable for what they do with their power, whether they, or they abuse it or whether they neglect it or whether they use it for good. But ultimately, it's God who gives the authority, and our role is to submit to authority. That is why I'm standing 15, 20 feet away from you guys. You're wearing masks. We're trying to be socially distanced, not because we agree, but because we submit to authority. Can we disagree? Yes. Can we appeal to Caesar? Yes. All those types of things. But ultimately, our witness is in submission. So Pilate here says, listen, don't you realize, Jesus, I have your life in, in, you know, in, in my hands? And Jesus had to educate him a little bit. Not, not really. Because as we're going to see, Jesus' life was given up when he wanted it to be give, given up right at the right time, when it was finished. But Ultimately, Jesus' life and death were not in the hands of Pilate. They were in God's hands, the Father's hands. And Pilate would be held accountable for what he had done. But the greater sin, Jesus says, was committed by the one who handed Jesus over to Pilate. See, Pilate's a pagan leader, and he has things that the Jews should have known, the leadership should have known. Those who know have greater responsibility. The teachers of the law, the Jews knew. They saw the signs, they knew the Old Testament, and still they denied it, and they handed Jesus over to be killed. And so Jesus says they have the greater sin. So if any of you wonder if there are, if certain sins are greater than others, yes, there are. It takes you one to get into hell, but let me say that God is a just God, and he judges according to what we've done, and so that is why the grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ is beyond measure, that our compounded wrath towards us was satisfied in Jesus Christ on the cross, some, so to speak, more than others. But God is just. But they had committed the greater sin. <clears throat> they even were crying out in just a few verses, we have no king but Caesar. And so, obviously, putting Pilate in a position where he was forced to choose between two kings. It's ironic. The Jews had a choice between two sons. As you look at this, the Holy Spirit is just so masterful how he does that. It's just amazing when you look at the Word of God and what he brings out. The Jews had the choice between two sons. The son of ultimately Satan, 
so to speak. He was, he, his life was evident of those things. He was a child of the devil, and that's why he was the Antichrist or anything like that. But Barabbas was a murderer, and he was an insurrectionist. His life showed the fruit of the flesh. And here, and the Son of God was perfect and innocent and holy and pure. And they chose Barabbas. And now, here's Pilate. He has his choice between two kings, between Caesar, between his, all that represents his own power, his own authority, his own allegiance, between that king and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What do you think Pilate did? So when Pilate heard these words, verse 13, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Verse 14, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It's Friday, about noon, about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. The absolute hate in their heart for God was evidenced in that they took allegiance with the, their, the occupying force, the ones they hated so much, over Jesus Christ, who came to them, who healed them, who preached the kingdom, who brought them peace who tried to give them life and they stamped out the light because they loved darkness rather than light. The Jews had a choice and now Pilate made his. Verse 16 and John simply says so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Now it's interesting John is, the, John is the one who has the eyewitness account of the crucifixion. The rest of the disciples are scattered. Perhaps they're watching from a distance. But John is, is there watching the whole time. He's close. And he says the least about it. It says they delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic, Golgotha. The place of the skull, most likely because of a rock formation or because there were skulls there. We really don't know. It's interesting when I went to Israel in 2001, I can't remember, um, right outside the historical place where the garden tomb is, if you just walk, you know, from here, maybe over to the birch tree over there, um, you go to an edge and there's a little bit of cliff that goes down and there's a little bus stop that kind of curves in. There's a Palestinian bus stop there, and you look on the side of the wall, and there's this quarry, an old quarry, and there's a piece of a skull that's on the side of the hill. So that could be it. So some people think that that is the, that's what was being talked about. But we don't know. But the idea is that that's where they crucified people. And so, verse 18, John simply says, there they crucified him with two others. One on either side and Jesus in between them. You know, John doesn't go into the physical suffering. Like I mentioned, he 
he's focused on the evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you remember back in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, John is leading up to this moment, church. Because in John chapter 3, verse 15, while he's talking to Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, one of the leaders of, the, of Israel, one of the ones who was in that Sanhedrin, who actually is one of our brothers, <laughs> which is awesome. But he said to him, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And you guys know the story from Exodus, or the story from uh, Numbers probably, where they were rebelling against God and complaining. And so God sent a, a, a plague of serpents and they were being bit, bitten and they, and they started dying. And they started crying out for mercy. And so God in his mercy provides a remedy. And he tells Moses, Moses, make a serpent, put it on a pole, a bronze serpent, put it on the pole, stick it up. And whoever looks upon that for in faith for healing, they will be saved. And so they had a choice to look or to not look. And Jesus is saying that all that stuff in the Old Testament, all of that is a picture of what is going on in, with us. That we've all been bitten by sin. We're all under the judgment of God. The day is coming. And the only solution is the Son of Man is lifted up. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin. That we might be the righteousness of God. And when we look upon Jesus in faith, we have been given eternal life. We've been given healing, spiritual healing. We've been made right, been made new, been made whole with God. The penalty of sin is death and eternal separation from God. And Jesus Christ takes our sin upon himself. And this is the gospel. So as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up. And this is what John is focusing on. This is the moment, church. The Son of Man is lifted up. He's nailed to the cross between two people who deserve it. And this is John's focus upon the cross. Jesus, the bronze serpent, so to speak. Lift it up. Jesus, the innocent Son of God, who knew no sin, who became sin, that he might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He was crucified to give us eternal life. In verse 19, John, Pilate just, uh, John just skips right to this point. It says, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where uh, Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. And so Jesus was crucified in a highly populated area. And that's, we, we kind of think that it's a picturesque hill far away set, you know, and there's like, you know, all this type of stuff. No, he was like, he was probably crucified off of the highway. So everybody would see. Rome liked to know that they meant business. They want everybody to know. So Jesus was crucified in a highly uh, public place. And so Pilate made sure that everybody knew that Jesus was the king of the Jews, not because he necessarily believed it, because he wanted to taunt Israel. He wanted to taunt those men. And he put it in every language. you got to remember, it's the Passover. People from all different types of places are, are gathering with all these different languages. And so everybody was going to see that and start talking about it. 
what had happened is they got upset because Jesus were like the Jews were reading it. Verse 21. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Can you please make an edit? That's not what they're saying. They're saying, Write this. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And the irony there is that neither Jesus nor the Jews believed that he was the king of the Jews. And yet God used fallen, sinful people to, to write the actual truth on the cross. Isn't that wild? That he is clearly Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Let's read through this quickly. We're all cold. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for, uh, for it is to see, to see those who it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so John quotes Psalm 22. Have you read Psalm 22, church? Written a thousand years before the cross. Let me read the first several verses for you, just, just so you get a flavor. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so, so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy and throne on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In, in you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. There's no rescue coming from me. Scorned by mankind and despised by people, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. And these are the words that they said to him while he was on the cross. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust me on my mother's breast. And on you I was cast at birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for my tre for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me, and they open wide their mouths at me like a ra uh, ravening and roaring lion. And I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint, and my heart well melts like wax. A thousand years before the crucifixion, before Christ on the cross, verse 15, my strength is all dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue stick, sticks to my draw. You laid me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, dogs, Gentiles encompass me. The company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Crucifixion wasn't invented yet. I can't all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. And they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. A thousand years before, you can't get around the prophecy of the Bible church. In detail, laying out what was going on the cross. And this is John's point. That he is exactly who he said he was. He is the son of God. The soldiers did these things, verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. <clears throat> and so Jesus is there hanging on the cross. And his mother Mary, can you imagine that? Watching your son be crucified before you. She was there watching. 
and says that Mary's sister was there, who we know from uh, Matthew 27, 56, and Mark 15, 40, is most likely John, the apostle John's mother. So Jesus and John are, are cousins, which makes sense why John would be hanging out with John the Baptist, who was one of his disciples. Just side note. So Mary, the wife of Copas, who, who, uh, whom we don't know much about, except for she was there at the tomb here in a bit. And we also have Mary Magdalene, who we know. But the idea is that where are the guys? They've all scattered, right? And, and believe me, God, is, God has called them. They have the role. They're exalted in, in their positions and all those things. But it's so beautiful to see the faithful women of God serving Jesus faithfully to the end by his side. Occasionally, you'll just get a, a, a glimpse of who they are and how they interact as you read the Gospels. But they are the backbone behind Jesus' ministry. They are taking care of him day and night. They're following him. And what he is doing is he's being, his ministry is being enabled practically and physically as God is working through them for them. And it's just such a beautiful thing. And it is fitting that they are there at the foot of the cross when he is crucified. And it is also fitting that when he rises from the dead, the first person he appears to is one of these women. Is the guys wouldn't believe her. <laughs> so what a blessing these women are. And Jesus is here. And the only male who's who's there with them, besides the soldiers, is John. John, who stays by Jesus' side through this whole thing. Perhaps that's the reason why the Lord had planned for him to have all the revelation that he did receive. But we don't know. So apparently Joseph is gone because it says in verse 26 when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he, he loved the disciple whom he loved standing nearby he said to his mother woman behold your son and he said to the disciple behold your mother and from that hour the disciple took her to his home this is John everybody knows it's John John doesn't talk about himself he doesn't boast about himself he always calls himself the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved this is John Jesus is caring for his mother in the last moments. The question is, why didn't he give them to his brothers? His brothers weren't saved and they weren't there. And Jesus was the oldest son and it was his role to take care of his mom. And he gave him to the one who was there and faithful. And he handed her off as the firstborn son to make sure John would take care of him. And church history kind of talks about that John eventually moved to Ephesus and Mary followed and other things like that. We read about Mary and John in Acts too. But verse 28, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And the jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus said, you know, he said, I thirst. 
and said it was to fulfill the scriptures. And they dipped that in sour wine and gave it to him. You know, Exodus 12 kind of alludes to this a little bit. It's, it speaks of the preparations that were made for the Passover. This is the day of the Passover. The day that Jesus is, is being crucified. It's a Friday. They're preparing for the Passover. The, last, the Passover lamb is being slain in the city. Everybody's slaying the lamb. Jesus, the lamb of God, is being slain. It's interesting. In this preparation, it speaks of <clears throat> the preparations for Passover, that they were to slay the lamb, to take a hyssop branch and dip, dip some, some kind of cloth or whatever it was in the blood and to put it on the doorpost of, of the home. And that's why the Passover would happen, that the, whoever the blood of the lamb would be passed over. And it's interesting that they take the blood and they lit and, and the sour wine, so to speak, and they lift it up and they give it to Jesus, who is the door. <laughs> he's the lamb, he's the door, he's all of it. And they put it on there and he goes, it's done. The blood has been applied. It's finished. I've done to accomplish what God has sent me to do. The price for sin has paid. The price to redeem us from our wickedness, it is done. He said, Tetelestai, paid in full. It is finished. In church, here's the work. You want to be saved? If you're listening online, you want to be saved? Here's the work that you need to do. Believe in his finished work alone. Period. That's it. Believe in the one who was lifted up, who bled, who died to receive the wrath of God on your behalf, and it is finished. The true Passover lamb was slain, and the hyssop branch was lifted up to him, the door, and all who enter through him will be saved. The work of redemption, sin was atoned for, Satan was defeated, the law was fulfilled, it was finished. Amen, church? Matthew tells us that it wasn't that Jesus went, it is finished. He shouted, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. Notice, no one took it from him. He says, I lay it down. And he also says, by the way, and I will pick it up again. We'll get there. He laid his life down. He picked it up according to the will of the Father. Church, it's so fitting that we're meeting once again here on Sunday, you know, in this passage focusing on the cross, on communion Sunday. And at that very moment, Jesus cried out, it is finished, and he gave his spirit. The work was finished, and the way to our Father was opened, and through faith in his finished work, we are granted eternal life. And in that act, when you are given eternal life, you are instantly made one with God, you are made one with each other. You're one with each other. You're one body. We are one body. Our brothers and sisters at home, we're one body. On the other side of the earth, speaking some language we've never heard, who believe in Jesus Christ, we are one body. We are one in Jesus Christ. It's so fitting that we're going to celebrate communion today of all days. Today is the day things lifted and we're able to be here to celebrate the finished work of our debt being gone of everything being paid as Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 
starting in verse 5, said he was pierced for our transgressions, 700 years before Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, or by his wounds, we are healed. The healing that God has provided for us in Jesus is here. It's, it's for you. It is available to you. And you have received it if you receive Jesus. You're, you're, you're whole. You're made whole in him. You're one. And one day, we're going to get the body that follows up with all that. <laughs> Can't wait for that. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. And so, as we, you have your communion crackers and juice. Now, it's going to probably take a little bit for you to uh, open that up. It took me a while. But we're going to, we're going to, we're going to just, John and I are going to, my son and I are going to play some, some, some music. John, John, why don't you head up, buddy? And while we do that, we just encourage you to, to pray with one another, to encourage one another in the Lord, to as a family. Obviously, you got to mind social distancing, all that stuff. But as the Lord leads, remember that the that the the bread represents His body. Listen, His His bread. The bread represents His body. It, it's it's when we look at that, we're to remember what He did for you, for me. He was. Ripped apart, nailed to a cross, and broken for you. His love was poured out for you on the cross. That's for you. And his blood was shed. And when we look at that cup, remember the blood. Remember it was shed because without the shedding of blood, your sin doesn't go away. You can't take, you can't cleanse the guilty with guilty. The innocent died for the guilty. Jesus was God's love towards you. His blood was shed for you. Not to take away some of your sin, but to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Amen? And not only did he die to give you eternal life and, and make you right before God and satisfy his wrath, but then he makes you a son or a daughter. You're not in the outskirts. You're in the family of God, and you're not in the bleachers. You're his precious son and daughter. And Jesus said, and Jesus is kind of socially distanced from us for, for right now. He's at the right home of the Father. But he sent this spirit who dwells in us, right? But he says, I go to prepare a place that where I am, you may be also. We're going to be with him. And this is the beautiful thing is that although we might be separate, we are one. And may we move and gravitate more to be together as God gives us grace as opposed to going apart. Because it's when we're together that the love that he's shown us, we show towards one another in the various giftings that God has given you. And I don't know about you, but we need each other. So on Zoom or on a phone call or a letter or face-to-face -face or whatever it might be, mask to mask, love one another. So we're going to play now. So let me pray, and then as you feel loud, you can go ahead and take those together, and we'll close with prayer.
Father, we want to thank you so much for this opportunity again to gather. We're asking that you would remind us, Lord, clearly of your love for us. If there's anything in our heart towards one another, cleanse it, Lord. But we just we just call out to you thanks. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for bleeding out, for dying, for not opening your mouth, for not defending yourself and all these things that you could have, but for willingly taking on all that we deserve upon yourself to bring us peace. So we love you now, and we worship you, and we remember you.